0: The most important thing in my teaching philosophy is have a relationship with that student. Make right. them feel comfortable enough to make mistakes. My job is to empower them to push through those challenges.
1: You're listening to The Take Back Podcast, where women of color creatives come together to inspire, empower, and encourage each other. I'm Jess Pele, an Indo-Fijian independent singer-songwriter. And I'm Angelica Dianda a Mexican-American licensed mental health counselor and singer. And this is the podcast where we explore and elevate stories from women of color who are artists, musicians, actors, entrepreneurs, and so on, who are navigating and taking back systems designed against them. Welcome back to the Take Back Podcast. I'm Angelica. And today I'm solo as Jess is off working on some really cool musical projects. In today's episode, we're talking with Izzy Chia. Izzy is a Dominican-Mexican-American creative, music educator, storyteller, and mental health advocate. After the shutdown due to the pandemic... She created a virtual piano studio and a YouTube channel with the mission of creating joyful music makers of all ages and abilities. She is an outspoken advocate and influencer in the ADHD and neurodivergent communities. Izzy holds a bachelor's degree in psychology and human development and family studies from the University of Houston and a master's degree in industrial organizational psychology from the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. Izzy resides in Houston, Texas with her husband and her two sons. One of the things about Izzy is that she definitely loves coffee and her cats and will never pass up an opportunity to have some pan dulce. So something interesting to share with you guys about Izzy, Izzy and I met through Instagram in a community that was specifically geared towards Latinas navigating ADHD So let's jump right into it. And here's my conversation with Izzy Chia. Well, Izzy, thank you so much for being here today for the Take Back podcast. We're so excited to have you. Thank you so much. I'm excited too. (laughs) So, you know, Izzy, one of the cool things about you that I have learned is that you have so many different interests and you also have an extensive amount of education. So, can you maybe share us a little bit more about the path that led you towards music education? Sure.
0: (laughs) That's a loaded question.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But yes, my journey to
0: music education was definitely a colorful one. I grew up in a family full of music. My mother was a piano teacher and music educator. And also on my father's side, my great aunt, The Maria Isabel, was also a accomplished pianist and a music educator as well. So it almost hit me from both sides of the family that it was in the genes for sure.
1: Like literally in the genes, my goodness. <laughs> yeah, so it's just really nice
0: to be able to have both sides of the family interact and find joy in creating music. My brother is an accomplished singer. My sister's a dancer and a pianist. It's just every time we get together with family, all of our tías and tíos and all of my siblings and cousins were always making music. So it was very natural for me to fall into this role.
1: I love that. I love that so much. Well, I know that you love to play the piano. So tell us a little bit more about like when you first started playing piano and then how did that lead to you realizing that you wanted to maybe pursue that more in a professional capacity? Sure. So
0: since it was in the genes, I had to take piano lessons. It was just a requirement in our family. My mom, of course, being my first teacher at age four, starting piano, using our little primer books and just finding time sitting next to her at the piano bench and working hard. I was not an easy student. I will tell you that. I, I presented my mom with many challenges <laughs> Once my mom had pretty much had enough with me, (laughs) Um, and my lack of practice and and discipline and things like that, she sent me to her best friend, who was also a piano teacher. So I took lessons from her best friend for a few years, and that was okay. I did sort of reach her threshold of tolerance (laughs) when it came to uh, having the discipline to Mm -hmm. stick to practicing and reaching piano learning goals. So then they both decided, well, let's send her to our teacher. So I went to my mom and her best friend's piano professor to finish out my piano learning. And that was really tricky. She was super accomplished, Mm -hmm. but those expectations were so, so high. I think I was around 14 when I went to her. Wow! I was, and I spent, I think it was about a good year and a half to two years with her before I decided, okay, well, I think we've exhausted the uh, ladder of, of piano professors and educators that can handle me. <laughs> you know, those challenges when you're growing up, especially at the time, I was undiagnosed ADHD. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that the challenges I was facing were due to something like dopamine deficiency and executive dysfunction and things like that. So, you know, what outwardly looks like laziness, being unmotivated, not staying focused on goals, it it really was something that was a really big challenge. Um, Right. So... That's sort of the the childhood and teenage years exploration of my piano and voice. I also picked up the flute. At age 11, I picked up flute, and I excelled very, very highly on flute. That's actually the instrument that I ended up auditioning for college on, and I ended up as a flute performance major at the University of North Texas. So that was the instrument that got me in the door to music school. And yeah, I mean, I found a lot of joy in playing the flute. It was just so beautiful. Yeah. But I will confess, (laughs) the original instrument I wanted to play was actually the saxophone.
1: Really, okay., yes. <laughs> that's like me, okay, like a little confession since we're confessing about musical instruments that we wanted to play. That's like me wanting to play the accordion. yeah, Ooh. <laughs> i I know, right? <laughs> well, it seems like just even as you were talking a little bit more about your journey learning and playing the piano. and then now you have a virtual YouTube studio for piano students. I mean, talk to me just about how those two different pathways because I made an assumption, but at some point in your teen years, either you press pause on piano or what happened? (laughs) Well, I found out it didn't require
0: a whole lot of effort to achieve really, really amazing results on flute. It took Mm -hmm. less time to master for me. And that was exhilarating. So seeing that I could achieve really, really amazing things in a short amount of time, I used that to my advantage when I auditioned for college. So once I got to college, though, once I got to the University of North Texas, it got a little scary because I was used to being a big fish in a very little pond in my hometown, right? right? Talented, everybody's heard me play all these things, right? They know I'm, I've got the stuff, right? But when I got to North Texas, it was like the biggest blow of imposter syndrome I'd ever gotten in my life because not only was I good, all the people that were at North Texas were Mm -hmm. so good and they had achieved so much more. So while I was working through that, I, I, Kind of had a falling out with my flute professor, who was, you know, very highly revered woman, incredible performer and educator. We did not really get along very well. And I was kind of afraid of her, but that's okay because once I realized that, that's when I started thinking, well, what else could I do? I mean, I have so many instruments that I love and adore, and that I can play, I might as well try something else. So after changing my major from flute performance, I went to vocal performance. And I auditioned for some of the collegiate choirs. I was in the early music choir and women's chorus and things Mm -hmm. like that. So that was good. After I did that, I wasn't doing so great in some Mm -hmm. of my other courses. My music courses, I was doing phenomenally well. right? But having an interest-based nervous system, (laughs) having to take core classes like economics and All of these things in regular college, I wasn't doing so great in that. So it ended up being that because of that, I had to leave North Texas, which was so sad because I had a really great foundation for music. Yeah. Also, I think I forgot to also say in between sort of me leaving and vocal performance, I switched to music ed. Okay. So I did take two semesters worth of music education courses. So Mm -hmm. I had my French and German diction courses. I also did woodwind fundamentals, brass fundamentals, all of my music theory courses. So I learned how to play so many different little instruments. And I did finally get to try the saxophone. And what did you think? I was
1: terrible.
0: (laughs) So I'm glad I chose the flute in the end. (laughs) But yeah, so my time at North Texas, even though it was cut short and I didn't end up with that music degree, Mm -hmm. I gained so much knowledge, so much respect and admiration for so many people there. So it was a good experience. Yeah.
1: Well, one of the, like I said, of all like the so many wonderful interests and talents that you have and the hats that you wear You know, music educator is one of them. For you as a music educator, what is the most fulfilling thing about your work? Wow, that's a
0: good one. Probably the most fulfilling thing I get out of music education is using my creativity to problem solve some of the issues my students are having in understanding musical concepts and things like that. So giving myself a chance to use that creativity and that knowledge to find something that works for that particular student and then seeing them work through their problem and work at it repeatedly and then achieving it. It's like yeah. the, the look in their face is just they're like, oh my gosh, I did it. And I'm like, yes, you did. You did. You figured it out. And that boost is something that really just propels them forward and keeps that learning going. And of course, as an educator, that's what you want. You want to be able to empower your students into keeping the learning going and achieving their learning
1: goals. It's almost in a way like you're stepping in as an educator in ways that your former piano teachers, music instructors, music professors were not able to help, right? Yes, that's exactly
0: right. You know, my exposure to so many different types of teachers and educators and their styles of teaching, I realized very quickly what worked and then what didn't work. And the most important thing In my teaching philosophy is have a relationship with that student. Make them feel comfortable enough to make mistakes and be vulnerable. Don't chastise them for making those mistakes, right? right? My job is not to make them feel bad. My job is to empower them to push through those challenges.
1: Right. I love that so much. Well, the other thing that is not going to be a surprise at all to you and our listeners is the impact that the pandemic had on educators on how they engage their students, right?
0: Absolutely. yeah. Yeah. So
1: what were some lessons that you learned or maybe even a creative educational approach that you took that you're going to take with you as we move to this post-pandemic world? That's a
0: big question. (laughs) So in the pandemic, you know, March 14th, 2020, the world shut down yeah. and for somebody like myself as a private music educator out of my home I went from a very steady income to zero yeah. <laughs> and I had to do something so at the insistence of my husband <laughs> and realizing also that my teaching style is very inviting and mm-hmm. comfortable and engaging he recommended why not start a youtube channel and i thought okay this is silly <laughs> <laughs> but he's been saying it for 7 years he's like you know you need to be on youtube i yeah. think there would be tons of people who would connect with you right. and really you know they will achieve what they're wanting to do at the piano with your help and i said okay well let's give it a try right so And I thought, okay, well, I have to start somewhere. So I started at the very beginning. I created like, welcome to the piano. Here's your first Uh, lesson. Yes. Yeah. And I, and I did that because I had to be inclusive. Right. I didn't want to just focus on children. I had created a welcome to the piano series for young children, ages Mm -hmm. four to six I also did that for children 7 to 12. And then I also had another class for teens and adults. Wow. Because I knew if teens and adults are home stuck and need something to do, they're right. bored and grandma's dusty piano is sitting in the corner, they they need something that's engaging and their parents are okay for them to just like go on YouTube on their own so that they, they're learning something. Mm-hmm. And I, I ended up... My very first lesson went viral on YouTube, which was great. What? And I ended up with tens of thousands of people taking my lessons. Stop it, Izzy. Really? Yeah, it was It was quite the surprise. Yeah. <laughs> so within the first two months of that happening... I realized, okay, I I need to keep this consistent. So I put out lessons for each level every single week. Mm -hmm. Although that seems like a ton of work, I felt like that initial push at the very beginning set the stage for my Mm -hmm. success later on. So as I went through those first couple months, I realized, okay, I need a way to actually monetize this. So I created Mm -hmm. a Patreon page, which has worked out very well. And many of these learners who started with me in March, 2020 are still taking my lessons. I love that. Yes. And it's like some of the most loyal students and patrons on Patreon, they've been there from the beginning.
1: That's amazing. They have
0: seen my growth. They have supported when I have implemented boundaries for the very first time in my business. Like many teachers... And educators during the pandemic. The amount that is required of a teacher during that time, it was something we had never dealt with before. Mm -hmm. And using that creativity and you know applying it to so many aspects of our lives, it was a recipe for major burnout. Right. So I experienced burnout last summer, summer 2021. And mind you, I had already been doing for over a year, recording seven lessons every week Wow. Over a year on YouTube. And these are full length, 30 minute piano lessons. It was a lot. Yeah. That was in addition to teaching privately for almost 40 private students. Oh my goodness. It was too much. Yeah. And I realized it was not sustainable. Right. My men- my mental health was suffering. Uh, my business was faltering because I wasn't meeting my own deadlines and expectations. Mm -hmm. So I took everything with that community that has been with me since the beginning. And I was honest. I communicated with them what I could handle, Mm -hmm. what I couldn't handle. I adjusted. And now I've created something that I believe has been sustainable and I've communicated it openly with them every step of the way. That's great. Yeah, it's been it's been very good. I think that's probably the thing I'm going to take with me as I continue building this virtual piano studio is making sure that I'm communicating clearly to my patrons, my learners across the globe. Mm-hmm. And just remembering that as much as I can handle is as much as they're going to be able to take in. Right, They will stick with me because they love my teaching style. They know who I am. They know that I am authentic. And by making sure that I'm taking care of myself, I will be able to take care of them and their piano learning needs.
1: Oh my gosh, Izzy, this is why I love you. It's was like, because this is exactly my same philosophy that I try to embody. And what I tell my own clients in therapy is that, even though we can do it, and some of us can do it all, doesn't mean that we need to do it all and that we have to take care of ourselves. But it sounds like it came from some some hard lessons that you had to learn coming from burnout, right? Yes,
0: burnout was a scary time. Um, yeah. That was also the time where I discovered my neurodivergence. That's when it started to make much more sense that it was something deeper. Yes. The anxiety and depression was a result of the undiagnosed ADHD. I was a little afraid in the beginning because you want to go to the doctor, you want to be able to identify what is happening and treat it, and you want to feel better. Yeah. But when that wasn't happening, that's when I knew it's something deeper that I'm not aware of yet, or my doctor hasn't Fully gotten the full picture. So that was a period of two months. I gave the uh, anxiety and depression medication two months to sort of do its thing, right? Do its thing. But waking up every day still with these very anxious feelings, getting very nervous about driving somewhere, um, having racing thoughts all night long, unfinished projects things laying around very messy, Mm -hmm. just always having a running to-do list in my head and the list getting longer and longer and longer and longer. It just, it didn't
1: feel like I had a handle on life. Right. Not only that, I think... You know, within our community as Latinas, we get some pretty, I would say, toxic messaging from other women or even other adults or our parents just of what is expected, right, for running a household or things that we're expected to do. I mean, this is messaging that people get everywhere, but it can get nasty a little bit within our community. And that's just, right, like another layer.
0: Yeah. You know, growing up in a Latino, traditional Latino Catholic household, I had to throw all of that in there because it it all adds to the complexity of the situation. You know, the expectations are, I feel magnified for our culture. And I would say, especially for daughters, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: daughters in our culture, it's almost like we are like parentified, like we have to grow up very quickly. Yeah. Right. Our parents were doing the work all over town. You know, my father was a very... Or he is an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. He is working all over the place at all hours. And my mother, also an entrepreneur being a music teacher, she worked out of our home doing her thing, right? Right. But daughters, you know, we we were almost given higher expectations of what is expected of us uh, very early on. You know, bathrooms need to be sparkling clean, rooms need to be perfectly clean, food and cooking, right. learn how to cook, you have to learn how to do the dishes the proper way. This is how you make beans. Don't spill the beans, right. wash them, you know, there's so many things right that is expected, especially of women in Latino households. And this is all to be the supporter or the second tier, right. to The man in the house, right. right? So it's almost like you're doing all this work but you can't enjoy the work that you're doing because it's not even for you. It's for another person. So like prepping daughters with this mentality that you're just there to serve men is, is so toxic. Right. So that, that experience was definitely something that I dealt with along with many, many other women in our culture.
1: Right. And
0: the fact that we're not encouraged to speak up about how we feel. Right. You know, it's like, we always had to be quiet like right. you can't complain about the things that you have to do
1: so we're so we have all these layers right and all these intersections right of just like the cultural upbringing the culture expectations of what gender norms and roles look like but then you have the layer of like oh, undiagnosed ADHD right oh. right
0: it's so-
1: <laughs> that's a, that's a lot right yeah so that
0: that right there. I mean, you can probably understand why there were so many times that I butted heads with people in my family and, you know, in our culture, like I had no filter. I would say how I felt. I was very honest.
1: Which is the opposite of Cayedipa, right?
0: Exactly. (laughs) Yes, that's the one. Um, (laughs) Also, you know, my emotional dysregulation was an issue. Right. Very Chiyona, crying about everything. But but I was so passionate about how I felt about things. And I wanted
1: whoever was listening to understand that. Do you remember what your initial thoughts and emotional responses were once you received your ADHD diagnosis? Yes. It was not that long ago, if you remember. I do remember.
0: I got my diagnosis in October of 2021, but my initial feelings after getting that diagnosis were, oh, that makes sense, right? It it was like the clouds lifted and I was like, oh, I have clarity.
1: The Jarlitos started singing. I think started clicking. Yes. Everything started clicking.
0: You know how in movies they do like the, the flashback scenes and it's like super fast scenes from your childhood. Right. <laughs> Going through the thing. That's exactly how I felt. I was like, well, that makes sense there and there and there.
1: Right. Right. Well, and you know what's been cool is like I've I have, you know, gotten to know you as you started this journey in not only getting your diagnosis, but like coming to understand what it means. One of the things outside, right, of your YouTube virtual music studio is that you started documenting your journey of understanding your ADHD. Tell our listeners a little bit about what inspired you to start that. Sure. So, you
0: know, my brain and how I love to hyper-focus on things. If I get something like a new diagnosis about something I know very little about, I'm going to put myself through Izzy's version of ADHD school. I'm going to learn <laughs> everything I can about whatever it is that I'm dealing with. Scientific studies, articles, podcasts, mm-hmm. um Everything I could get my hands and my ears and my eyes on, I was just soaking it all in. Right. But I know as an educator, that the best way that I can demonstrate that I have learned something is by making something or creating something that shows that I know what I'm learning. And now I know this about myself. So I started documenting that through a new Instagram page And all I was doing really was, you know, researching, learning, and then giving myself a little mini project to show what I've learned. And I created reels Mm -hmm. on Instagram, you know, 15 seconds of showing what it was that I had learned for that day, whether it be something like misperception of time or body dysmorphia or the ADHD tax. Right. It could have been anything. Like, why are, are ADHD years the way they are? Right. Well, here's the way I can show you. Right. Here's some of the reasons. And then as I was learning more, I was also trying new strategies for myself. <laughs> as I was getting treated for my new ADHD, I had, you know, tried medication to get the right balance of dosage right. and things like that. And things started to click. So I would try this strategy to help with planning or this strategy to help with the fact that I keep forgetting my produce is going bad. Mm -hmm. Well, I tried all these different things that people are uh, recommending and I would find stuff that works for me. Mm -hmm. Once I would do that, I would post about it. I would make something about it. And I'd say, look, I... Had this issue, but I tried these four things and they seem to be working for me. Maybe Mm -hmm. they'll work for you.
1: So, as I was doing that, it got popular. Girl, it's like more than popular. Like, you're blowing up. Like, there's a lot of people that are engaging with your content. Yes. (laughs) I think it's
0: because I'm honest. Yeah. I don't try to like fancy myself up for the right. camera. I don't, honestly, I, I could care less what I look like. <laughs> All I want to do is show what I've learned and what's working for me. You know, the goal in the real is not to show me as the person to follow. It's the goal of the real is for you to see yourself in that real. Oh my gosh, this is gold.
1: This is gold. I love that. But but it's so true, right? That's how you build community, right?
0: Exactly. And and you know, building that trust is important, you know? You want followers to be able to see themselves in it. They see, right. you know, I made a reel about burnout and oh my gosh, that that reel itself was so difficult for me to make because mm-hmm. I was telling some raw honest truth and vulnerability yeah. in that specific reel. But the amount of comments that I had gotten from other people that have been going through something similar is incredible. yeah. And the amount of support that commenters are giving each other on that sort of reel, it was just tremendous to be able to see something like that because, yeah. you know, Again, they're seeing themselves in that real. Right. It's not it's not me. I'm yeah. just a placeholder. Right. I'm just a placeholder. If they are seeing themselves in it, then my message is getting through.
1: Right. Well, and that's that within itself is I mean, the artist, the creative's goal, I mean ultimate goal is like what can I do with this bit of creativity, whether it's music, whether it's art, whether it's creating content on social media, how can I get people to engage it in a way that they see themselves, they hear their stories, and that they know that they're not alone. It's, it's so beautiful. Oh, I just love that so much. So something that's been so cool is not only seeing that you have your music studio right on YouTube, but you also are navigating and managing you know, different platforms, right? And so one that you just recently launched is the Discord server called Weird and Wonderful ADHD Community. (laughs) <laughs> yes I, lo- I love it which I'm on that server and my first time interacting with discord first of all re- like a really really cool platform I had to like turn off notifications because it was like t- pinging <laughs> like all the time which is to me I'm saying that I was like this is so cool that means that there are people that are engaging and that are connecting right
0: yeah so I would definitely say like beyond being an educator which is what you're seeing on my virtual piano studio and on my ADHD page, I'm a community builder yes, at you heart. Are. I like to be able to connect with people and be able to support them in whatever challenges they may be going through. And I have found that Discord is a fantastic platform to be able to do that. I use Discord also for my virtual piano studio. We have a very active Discord server with posting videos of playing piano and I give feedback. It's really wonderful.
1: That's awesome.
0: But when I opened and started with this idea with the Weird and Wonderful server, I knew that it was going to be that safe space, that cozy corner of the internet where, you know, ADHDers can be themselves, share their struggles also post their wins every Mm -hmm. day we have a channel called daily wins and people post on there even if their daily win was remembering to take the dog on a walk they will post that and we all celebrate that you know it's just important because the struggles that adhders deal with are magnified right beyond you know a neurotypical person's challenges so it's nice to be able to have a safe place to be able to discuss those things. So I feel like, you know, we're only like a a week and a half in. So (laughs) it's, it's a really fun, supportive group of people. I think we're just over a hundred members. We have 108 members. I checked this morning. That's awesome. So, but it's, it's been good and I can't wait to see what happens next.
1: I have high hopes for that uh, community. And I would totally agree with you that you are more than just a music educator and a content creator, that you are a community connector. And it's really, really exciting to see you show up and show your giftings in such different ways. And I think that's kind of the, the cool thing for folks with ADHD is like... We kind of like a lot of different things, right? It keeps things spicy. It keeps things interesting. Oh, yes.
0: Oh, yes. We're a colorful bunch. We're also just very well rounded. We're Renaissance people. We do a little bit of everything. Right. And we're good at it, right? Yeah. Uh, But we also need support. You know, we need to to find like minded people that will appreciate the fact that you're, you know, learning how to do Mesoamerican football and uh learning about victorian fashion right and and all of these things so it's it's nice to be able to have those types of people who understand
1: so i'm dying to know and i'm 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 assuming some of our listeners probably are dying to know Like, how do you do it? How do you balance managing all these different platforms on top of being a mom, right? You've got two kids, like two boys in elementary school. Just like, how do you do it? Is he like, give us your secrets.
0: (laughs) Oof, my secrets. Well, that question is a big one too. So I think what's important to remember is when you're a mom, And especially a neurodivergent mom, boundaries are important. Boundaries when it comes to bedtime, boundaries when it comes to spending your time with your children, giving them the chance to be bored Mm -hmm. so that you can have time to recharge and, and be your best self. Giving them the space to create and be themselves fully without judgment is also super important you know, time management is something that obviously helps me do a lot of these things that I do. I swear by the passion planner. I just got two more in.
1: (laughs) They need to like totally a sponsorship or something because you, you plug the passion planner a lot.
0: (laughs) That planner in itself. I know it's, it's kind of cliche to say a planner changes your life, but that planner has helped me navigate some of my darkest times mm. and just to be honest with myself about what I can take on for a specific day as well as providing me space to also be freeform and creative and curious right. so it's it's like the best of both worlds when I use my passion planner but it's a lot of things being a mother is probably something that brings me the greatest joy in my life But it also brings me the most stress (laughs) because the fact, you know, being neurodivergent, you're, you're ultra sensitive to the fact that you just don't want to get things wrong. Right. But when you do get it wrong, also understanding that it's important to be honest Mm -hmm. with your children, tell them how you feel. Honestly, if you're frustrated, instead of yelling at them to get something done, it's leveling with them and saying, I'm very frustrated right now and I'm having a hard time. I need one minute break. Can you play quietly while I have my break? And then we'll discuss what what we're dealing with.
1: Well, you were pretty honest earlier in talking about your experience of burnout um, and how that led you to end up getting your um, ADHD diagnosis. Now having experienced burnout, Do you ever find yourself worried about potentially re-experiencing it again?
0: I would say that the worry is always there. Mm -hmm. But and burnout isn't something that just, you know, you're you're better after you get medicine, right? Right. I find that burnout takes almost years of relearning how to be firm with boundaries, how to take care of yourself. And, you know, there are times where you can have the threat of a relapse Mm -hmm. into burnout again. But the recognition of being able to identify what is putting me back in that space.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: You know, I use the imagery of a cave with a scary bear. And that's what I described in that reel in particular, that really resonated with people is like, I, when I experience burnout, I imagine myself in a deep, cold, wet cave, and I'm stuck with a a ferocious bear. And that ferocious bear is my burnout. That's, that's Mm -hmm. my rock bottom, right? So if I'm recognizing triggers, if I'm recognizing emotions, if I'm seeing that, I'm getting quick to anger about certain situations more frequently. Mm -hmm. And I can say, okay, this is one of these alarm bells going off. Like you got to be able to see that alarm bell and make a change right then and there so that that alarm bell doesn't go off again. Because after too many alarm bells, you're stuck in that cave again with that bear. And we don't want to be in that cave.
1: Right what would you say are just a few ways that you are now in learning more about yourself and your neurodiversity? What are some different ways that you're now taking care of your mental health?
0: Lots of time in nature. I think that leaving notifications off, Mm -hmm. taking the kids to some sort of park or hiking trail or something, I feel like that has been such a healing experience, you know, and it's not always, you know, trees in nature, maybe it's a visit to the beach, listening to the ocean, you know, smelling that sea air, you know, we live about an hour from Galveston. So we're in Houston. So we will visit the beach and the kids, you know, they can spend hours out there just digging around looking for crabs or anything. And, And my husband and I really take that opportunity to just connect and just unwind. It's it's important because mm-hmm. it reminds you of the rhythm. The rhythm of nature is it's slow. It's not fast-paced. Everything happens in time. You know, you see the birds flying and gliding. They're not
1: mm-hmm.
0: darting and like, you know, it it just reminds you to slow down. So yeah. I really enjoy spending time in nature, the beach in particular. I would also say that another thing that I have been doing since my diagnosis is I take a complete full day off every week from social media. You probably are aware of it because I'll post like on a Saturday night, hey, I'm going to be off for my regular Sunday, see you Monday. So by establishing that for myself... I feel like that's been really important to keeping myself from reaching burnout. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, little things here and there around the house to take care of myself, making myself a smoothie or enjoying my cup of coffee in silence, you know, going outside and playing with my dog, Love it. letting the cat sit on my lap for an hour and like really succumbing to the, there's a cat in my lap, I can't move mentality right it's like that's a rule If the cat's sitting on you you can't get up that's like the universe's way of saying you need to slow down right so you allow it to happen let the cat do its thing he's doing his
1: thing and happy as a lark so i love it Well, we're at like the final segment of our show, which is my favorite. So this segment is called the final five in five, which is five questions in five minutes. Okay. Are you ready? Let's see if I can stick to that. (laughs) Uh, We'll see. I think you can. Okay. All right. So the first question is, what is currently inspiring your creativity?
0: What's currently inspiring my creativity? I am
1: really into alebrijes right now. Yes. Which some of our listeners may not know what, what alebrijes are, so do you want to tell them? Yeah. So, um
0: I think it was in the 1950s, mm-hmm. Pedro Linares who was a sculptor and an artist had some sort of sickness, and he had hallucinations. And in his hallucinations, he had these whimsical, magical-looking hybrid creatures, very colorful, and he kept hearing this word, alebrije, alebrije. And as he came to from that sickness, he used that to develop these sort of picturesque, whimsical Creatures that are are highly imaginative,
1: mm-hmm.
0: so it's part of Mexican culture, but it's right. modern Mexican culture. Yes. A lot, many times people get confused that ale- they think alebrijes are like the window to the dead. That right. was just the representation in the movie Coco. Right. They they, they sort of used alebrijes for that. But the way I like to look at alebrijes is alebrijes are sort of a companion mm-hmm. to our own brains, Yeah. right? Our brains are full of creativity, endless possibilities, limitless, right? Mm-hmm. And having sort of your favorite animal that's turned into something that is really imaginative and fun that's going with you. Yeah, I think that that's, as you're exploring, that's to me what um, an alevrije signifies. So
1: cool. I love it. Okay, so what is your current hyper focus or special interest? Oh,
0: okay. (laughs) My current hyper focus. Uh, Right now, my eldest son has expressed interest in being a chef when he grows up. So several years back, I was obsessed with those meal kits that you can order, Mm -hmm. you know, like a green chef and all of those meal kits. So I really enjoyed following the instructions when all the ingredients were there. So with my elder son right now expressing this interest, a lot of times my current hyper focus at different points in my life are driven by the interests of my children. Okay my my eldest son is also ADHD inattentive attentive type, so whatever he's into, I will dive right in with him because I like to foster that right, that interest. so
1: I love that. How do you define strength?
0: How do I <laughs> define
1: strength? Yeah.
0: I think strength is being comfortable in your authenticity and not being afraid to share that with the world.
1: Oh. So good. So good. Okay. Favorite mom hack.
0: Favorite mom hack. Ooh, there's so many. I think my favorite mom hack is something we've been doing uh, a lot recently. When you're putting together chore lists and stuff like that for your kids, rather than just giving them a whole list of stuff to like do all this and then you get X, Y, Z, make it more like you make a list of a bunch of stuff and you say, pick five and then you'll get whatever. Mm-hmm. It gives them more autonomy yeah, in, in deciding what chores to do at what time. And it keeps them away from me trying to figure out what to do next. What do I right. do next, mommy? What do I do next? They look at their list and they're like, okay, I, have, I know I have to do five things. So then they go through and they pick the chores that they do. So- that's what we do.
1: <laughs> that, no, that sounds like so practical and easy and it kind of takes some stress off of you, right? Because they're picking it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, last question. What women of color business brand or artist would you recommend to our listeners? Oh, yes.
0: Okay. So I have a great recommendation, especially for those people who are looking for Spanish or bilingual books. I have a dear friend. Her name is Maceo Cabrera Estevez, and she's a Cuban-American bookseller and a book coach in training. And she has a company called Booklandia. You can find her on Instagram. It's booklandia.co. And she has an incredible library of amazing recommended books. If you're looking for something just really authentic, you know, the own voices type Mm -hmm. of uh, literature that's so important. And she's got a bookshop um, and she also does audiobooks on Libro FM. So I would love to have any of your listeners go visit booklandia.co and just see if there's any books and things like that that you are looking for that are Spanish or bilingual you know, supporting small business, Latino owned businesses is mm-hmm. so important. Yeah. I know probably more than 60% of these books that are on her shop, you could probably get on Amazon, but honestly, the fact that you would be helping a Latino owned business survive,
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: is so, so important right I now, especially. It. So
1: go visit. Oh, Mateo. thanks for that recommendation. Well, Izzy, can you tell our listeners where they can find you and ways which they can support all your amazing endeavors that you're engaging in? Sure. So probably the number one thing that you can
0: find at the moment is my Instagram page for ADHD. It's Izzy and ADHD, and Izzy is spelled I-Z-Z-I-E, so Izzy and ADHD. If you're looking for my piano lessons, uh, your best bet is probably to visit YouTube. You can type in Izzy Chia Music Studio, or even if you spell my name wrong, it still comes up. Like so many people have have done that, and it's perfectly fine. It still comes up. And then if you want to support any of my pages uh, financially, uh, you can find my Patreon For my music teaching, patreon.com slash Izzy Chia. And for my ADHD community, if you'd like to help finance that, you can visit me at buymeacoffee.com slash Izzy and ADHD.
1: Awesome. We'll make sure to include all of these links in our show notes so that it'll be pretty easy and simple for folks just to click and then connect right away. But Izzy, you know what? Thank you so much for your time and just sharing us a little bit more about who you are authentically and just the ways that you are engaging in community through all the different creative platforms that you're in. So. Thank you for being here, Izzy. Thank you so much for having me. This was a lot of fun, and I'm glad I was able to
0: share a little bit more about who I am and how colorful my
1: life is. So... (laughs) Thank you again for joining me on today's episode of the Take Back Podcast. If you liked this episode, please be sure to leave us a review and a positive rating wherever you're listening. You can also follow us on our Instagram account at the take back Podcast, And if you would like, go ahead and check out our website at thetakebackpodcast.com. There, you can go ahead and make sure to subscribe to our newsletter list, where we will update you all about cool and interesting things that we're up to on the podcast. Want to be a creative revolutionary with us? Visit thetakebackpodcast.com to learn more.